the third win against the top ten, and the Orange had them all the way. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. Three for the win battle. Bang! Boom! As the Orange do it again, the cardiac juice comes through on the road one more time. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Here on ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. Seth Goldberg with you. Stephen Fonte out today, out for the next couple of days. So I'll uh, I'll take you through up until 2 o'clock today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. We'll pass you off to Matt Park later on this afternoon. We'll be joined by Adrian Autry as we are every week at 12.15. There's a lot to get to. We could get to a little bit of Olympic stuff. We can get to a little bit of the NBA All-Star Weekend. To be quite honest, um, I didn't watch all that much of the NBA All-Star Weekend. I, I just was doing other things and, uh, you know, just didn't catch it. Um, we could talk baseball, spring training opening up this week. And I know there's excitement in Yankee camp, and I've got ESPN on my TV here in studio. But at about 1.30, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge are going to take batting practice together. So that's a that's a big deal down in Tampa. But there's one place to start, and that is Syracuse basketball. The Orange getting another huge win over the weekend. Picking up another Quadrant 1 win, and because of the numbers and the weird numbers games, they actually picked up two Quadrant 1 wins because Buffalo jumped up into the top 30 of the RPI, and it's confusing. But it was a good weekend for Syracuse. They got another another win, a much-needed win, on the road at Miami. 315 437 7644, the number to call at Seth Goldberg17 on Twitter to get your thoughts in as well. And we could dive into what this means for the Orange. We could dive in further what this means for their tournament hopes going forward. And, and I'm just not sure yet. And we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. I'm just not sold on their tournament case quite yet. Uh, but they can get there, right? They've got four more games. They've got three of them against top 10 opponents in the RPI. They can get there. They can get to that point where I'm feeling confident and I'm feeling good about their tournament chances. But I did want to start with a note on that game. Tyus Battle did not play well. Frank Howard had a phenomenal game. O'Shea Brissett played really well. Merrick Dolzhai played quite possibly his best offensive game of the year. And you went into Miami and you won. And if you told me on Friday afternoon during this show... If you told me on Friday that they would go down there and, and Tyus Battle would have a bad game, I would have told you there was no chance that Syracuse would win that game. And I think that's an important thing to take away from that game yesterday. Syracuse didn't get the best out of their best player. And they still went and they got a win at the road. That's not something we've seen them be able to do this year, right? If Tyus battles off, they're probably not winning a game for the most part this season. But Frank Howard stepped up, played a great game, scored, was dishing out assists. We saw Merrick Dolzhai step up, feel confident, take jumpers, get to the basket. And that's something that Jim Beheim said after the game. You know, we saw a different player as they filled out, and 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 with Tyus Battle struggling, they needed everybody else to step up. And, and I thought offensively, you know, that nobody's guarding Marek, and he got himself in the right spots where he could get that little shot, and he and he made it. Those were big plays. 
Uh, I thought O'Shea was great tonight, Frank. Uh, and Tyus had an off game, but you know, you know, he's going to make that shot at the end. He's made them all year, and that that was the game. I thought that three, Marek's two, and then that three, and then Marek going to the foul line and making the one on ones. He's done that in, in all pressure situations this year. He's been good there. So you got good play out of Marek Dolzhai. You got a bucket when it mattered most out of Tyus Battle. Even though he wasn't hitting his shots all night, he hit the most important one that he took, right? That three in the last minute or, or minute and a half of that game, he knocks it down. And, you know, you, you, that that felt like the dagger, right? With two minutes left, that felt like the dagger off the hands of O'Shea, uh, off the hands of Tyus Battle, I should say. So, yeah, he didn't play great, but he did enough. He hit a shot when it counted. You got great play out of Marek Dolzhai. You got great play out of O'Shea Brissett. And you come out of there with a win. A win that could greatly improve your tournament chances. Although I'm not sure you're there yet. I'm just not sure this team is in yet. I don't feel confident saying that. If they come out and play like they did on Saturday, with Tyus Battle playing up to what we think he can be, then yes, I think that this is a tournament team, and I think this is a team that you know maybe could be dangerous because you talk about guard play when it comes to March. You talk about guard play in the NCAA tournament being such a big deal. And Syracuse has guards. Syracuse certainly has guard play in Frank Howard and Tyus Battle and, and in swingman, three-man, four-man uh, O'Shea Brissett. You have three, three good ball-handling players that can make plays and come and be pretty dangerous come tournament time. So if they play the game they played yesterday where O'Shea is, you know, shooting 50% and, and scoring at a good clip, and Frank Howard is scoring and dishing out assists, and Merrick Dolzhai is getting those opportunity baskets where he only took five shots, but he had 11 points. And you're doing all of that, and like Tyus Battle is also doing his thing, then this team can be pretty good. But right now, as we sit at this moment, is this a tournament team? And I guess that's the overarching question for this whole day, this whole week, this whole two weeks, until we get to the ACC tournament three weeks from now when we're talking here the day after Selection Sunday. Is this an NCAA tournament team? And I just don't know right now based on the resume. Because I look at the resume. I've got it written out. Three and five against Quadrant One. Not bad, right? Not bad. They got two of those wins on the road. They beat a Buffalo team in the Dome early. All right. Three and five against Quadrant One. Four and three against Quadrant Two. On the surface, you know, not terrible. They got one of those wins on the road. Although two of those losses, really all three of those losses, are going to be ones that as Syracuse fans, you're going to say, man, we should have had those games. And I'm sure as a team, they're going to say, man, we should have had those games in Notre Dame, NC State last week, and at Wake Forest early in the ACC schedule. And then you're really good against the bottom half of this conference, uh, of, of your quadrant, right? 6-1 and one in quadrant 3, 4-0 and oh in quadrant 4. None of that will really hurt you. You lost at Georgia Tech. That's not a good loss, but it, it happens, right? You can, you can kind of blow over one, I think. So I guess the best thing that this team has going for it is that they don't have a truly awful loss, right? They didn't lose to Pittsburgh. They ended up winning that game at Pittsburgh. They didn't lose to them. 
You know, they didn't lose to Colgate. They didn't lose to Georgetown. They didn't lose to UConn. They didn't lose, you know, against in Eastern Michigan. Their worst loss right now is at Georgia Tech. And is that a good loss? No, it, it, not by any means. But I don't think that's one that will cripple you. So the question becomes, do they have a good enough win? And this is the one that I can't quite get, and I'm not quite sure of. I don't know that this team has the wins yet. But, lucky for them, they've got four opportunities here. Three of them against top 10 RPI teams. And if they can get wins in this part of the schedule, in the remaining schedule, against a UNC, against a Duke, against a Clemson, then it makes their resume a lot more clear-cut and a lot more, uh, a lot easier to see, right? A lot easier to read. But they have to be able to do that, which brings me back to the same point that I got that I was at last week when Steve asked me my confidence in this team making an NCAA tournament. I think it's very possible, right? Like, I think there's a path there. Even with Matthew Moyer playing six minutes and Sidibe, you're unsure of his health. Chukwu, you're unsure of his health. Even with the limited depth and the limited players on this team, you know, the path is there that this team could make the NCAA tournament. The question becomes, and the question as to your confidence is, really, are you confident they can win games against good teams? Are you confident that they can beat North Carolina, Clemson, Duke? Two of them. Are you? Because I don't know. Because right now I'm just not sure. And I don't know that a resume headlined by Buffalo at Miami and at Louisville is enough. Right? Like, I'm just not sure that that is ultimately enough to get a team into the NCAA tournament. They just don't have that good win yet, that signature win. Could it come on Wednesday night? Absolutely it could. If this team plays well, if this team does what they did on Saturday, plus a little bit more out of Tyus Battle, that regular, normal, what we come to expect out of Tyus Battle, then yeah, this team could go pull off a win on Saturday. Uh, On Wednesday, I should say. But it feels like they need that. It feels like they need Wednesday. It feels like they need Clemson when they come into the Dome. It feels like they need those two. Right? Go get two good signature wins. You've got the road wins covered. Nobody's going to knock what you've done on the road this year. You've beaten two top 50 teams in their home building. Nobody's going to knock what you did on the road. You picked up enough wins away from the Dome. You picked up five. And that'll probably be enough. But the question is, to me, do they have enough quality wins? And to this point, I just don't think they do. So sitting here today on President's Day, Monday, February 19th, I don't think this is a a team that has the resume to get into the NCAA tournament. Have they looked like an NCAA tournament team at times? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that they really have. Over the last couple of weeks, the the Louisville win, the Wake Forest win, um, you know, even the NC State game, the game on Saturday, they looked pretty good in the second half, I thought. A complete turnaround from the first half. 
where it felt like it was another game where they should have been up a lot more than they were at the break. They've looked like a tournament team, I think, for the last couple of weeks. The question becomes, can they continue that the next two weeks, the next three weeks, to win a few more games here, win a game or two in Brooklyn, and actually punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament? That remains to be seen. 315-437-7640. 315-437-7644 is the number to call at Seth Goldberg17 on Twitter. Let's take a timeout. We'll be joined on the other side by uh, assistant coach Adrian Autry here on Orange Nation on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Seth Goldberg here with you, taking you up until 2 o'clock. We'll hand it off to Matt Park. Then getting hour number two underway. Had Adrian Autry on in the first part of the show. If you missed that, check out the website, ESPNSyracuse.com. That'll also be on our iTunes feed. You can get it downloaded directly to your phone. Twitter feed, at Seth Goldberg 17. Uh, Got a tweet earlier in the show asking what would be Syracuse's worst conference loss this year um i think it's hard i think you would bounce back and forth between georgia tech considering that was on the road notre dame at home considering the talent that they did not have on the floor and nc state given how that game was lost um i think ultimately notre dame would probably rise to the top because you allowed 51 points on your home floor and you lost and that's a game that you can look back on and say syracuse should have won um, you know, the Georgia Tech game is pre- is your worst loss of the season by the numbers. But that Notre Dame game and that NC State game last week will probably sting you a little bit more. So keep the Twitter questions coming. Uh, we'll head back to the phone lines, 315-437-7644. We've got Pat in Syracuse on the line. Hello, Pat. What's on your mind now? Hey, happy Monday. How are you, Seth? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. You know, good win against uh, Miami. I thought very much so that we were going to go down there and get it done. I like the matchup going going down to Miami, um, even more so than at home against NC State, and that's the way it ironed itself out. Um, You know, it's just a shame that we didn't take care of some of these games, Notre Dame uh, and St. Bonaventure, because I'm telling you, when you look at some of these other resumes, um, even somebody like Clemson, I mean, Clemson's two and six. You know, you, you, you keep hammering Syracuse for only having, you know, a few quadrant one wins. Well, I got to tell you, once once you get out of that first tier, the one and two seeds, uh, there's a lot of teams with two wins, three wins, three wins, four wins, three wins. I mean, you, you just scroll down and you look. I mean, there's a couple conferences that seem to be inflated with the amount of teams that are actually in this quadrant one because of the RPI. And it's a shame that they're using that. Um as the main sort tool for the quadrants. But um, that leads to my point on Buffalo. Buffalo has zero chance of an at-large. It's not even close because they don't have quadrant wins uh, because they don't play a lot of teams in the RPI. And they didn't beat Syracuse, um, which was one of their few chances to get a quadrant one or two win. So Buffalo, there there is no scenario that I can see. And normally there's the Colonial Athletic. um, There's usually two or three, you know, you know, when Wichita State was in that other conference, there's those types of conferences that they have one or two teams that you know are getting in, whether it's VCU or whoever. 
It hasn't been that way in three years. And I don't think Syracuse has to worry about anything but taking care of its own business. Um, yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of bit stealers at all. I don't know why you and Scooter were, were commenting on that because it's just not the case at all. Well, I think it's just a case where you're curious. If somebody does surprise and run the table, then then you run that risk. If for some reason, yeah. you know, if for yeah, some reason, Gen- it's, no, it's I, I understand that. But if for some reason Gonzaga and St. Mary's were to go down early, that would be the one case, right? Sure. You know, then the two of them are in and they're getting a third team. So I, I think that I there's say- one or two. I mean, if Middle Tennessee State they just jumped into the top twenty-five, they I think they would at least have a case as an at-large team. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting and. I think every year the committee's trying to figure it out because right now with this quadrant, it leans very heavily towards the benefit of the Power Five and to the disadvantage of the um, of those mid majors like like Middle Tennessee. So that just leads you know more to to that case. But you know it's an interesting game tonight. I want to talk a little bit about t- tonight's game with with um, with with Miami because I think right now if the tournament was to start today. And you look at side by side Miami's resume and Syracuse. Syracuse has a better resume than Miami because they beat them, and everything else is pretty close. Um, and you know who knows how they're going to handle in- injuries. But and Notre Dame, if they win this game, they could end up, you know, going on a little run and finishing nine and nine. So I'm not sure who we would want as a Syracuse fan tonight. Um, I, I I would say right now, if Miami's one slot ahead of you, you want them to lose so that you you can you you can bump. And you know, take care of them. But the other thing too that just 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 about conference record, I was surprised to learn if you look at all the criteria, they do not look at conference record at all. Yeah. I mean, people people need to remember Iowa State made it four games under five hundred. So for anybody that thinks if if we go eight and ten, then like we're like disqualified. No, it's gonna be the resume. And to be honest with you, I think the most important thing is to see who beat who Boston College has from here on out and, and if they can get that quadrant one, because I think if we beat Boston College as a quadrant one in Clemson, I think we're in no matter what happens in Brooklyn. Um, I think two is enough. I'd like to get three because I don't want to sit there and get snubbed like like we did a, a few years back. I mean, people might not know this, but Syracuse has been the first team out three times. Three times they were the first team out, including last year, including 2006 when they everybody knows they got snubbed. And the next year um, – they lost to Villanova. Everybody knew they were out, and 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 they were the next team up on on the big board. So it's happened three times. Don't want to see it happen a fourth. I like the way they're playing. I think Brissett's really coming on strong. I I think it's kind of ironic that they have changed this pick and roll completely with Merrick and with um, Brissett running these picks. And uh, they they got to get rid of Chuku running that pick and roll because all it does is make things worse. But I'm looking forward to the game. Hey, one last thing about Bagley. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we, that's the last thing, you know. This Duke game's climbing up. It's you know less than a week away. Saturday, six o'clock, and and if Bagley is out, that's that's a major thing because you're still inheriting Duke's resume. They're, they're not going to give you less credit because you beat them without Bagley. So that'll be something that'll be very interesting to track. But things are lining up very nicely. It'd be nice to have one more win, obviously. But uh, beating Louisville, who also is a team that I think we should get in ahead of because we we beat them on their court and they're completely falling apart, but having those quadrant one wins on the road um, is, is pretty good. And then they also look at the last thing. They look at all the other quality wins. So even if it's not a quadrant one, two or three win, you know, how are you, who else are you beating? If you have five wins against garbage teams, they, they, they don't, they don't help you. We don't really have a ton of those. So you can't just look at the record. Right. Thanks for the time stuff. Yep. Thanks Pat for the call. And, and I'm, 
I agree with you to an extent. Bid stealers, yes, no, maybe out there. Um, I, I'm curious to see how things work out with the quadrant this year. Uh, because Syracuse has three wins there. I know that there are top teams that have fewer. Um, I don't know that Syracuse has the best wins there, if if that makes any sense. They've got two wins on the road in Quadrant 1. Their best win by the RPI is Buffalo at 30. Um, that's more of what I'm worried about than the number of wins they've got in that Quadrant. I'm, I'm more worried if Syr- for Syracuse's tournament case the wins that they've got there, which is why I think these two weeks are important. Get a win, uh, you know, against an N- a UNC, get a win against a Clemson, um, and then you don't have to worry about that because those two teams are both top 10, top 15 in the RPI. It, it floats right to the top of your resume. It looks a lot better. Uh, that's more of what I mean than, oh, they've only got three top quadrant wins. That's what you are. You're a bubble team. That's what's going to happen. Um it's more who you beat, and I think that they need one real signature defining win. Um, as far as the Bagley thing, and I do find that really interesting, I would imagine he's going to play. And I, I know that like he's been sitting out and uh, you know he, he's got some kind of an, an ankle or some kind of an injury there. I think it was his knee. I think that they're going to want to get him some games before the tournament because I, I think that they're preparing for him to play in March. You know, like I, I don't think that this injury is serious enough that it's going to keep him out of games in March. Um, so I think that he would play, maybe not this Saturday, but I think he'll play before we get to Brooklyn. I, I would imagine he's back on the court before we get to Brooklyn. Let's head to the phones, 315-437-7644. We've gotten Doug in North Syracuse. Doug, huge game for uh, the men last week. They, uh, they struggled in that one, the SU lacrosse team. They certainly did, Seth. Uh, it, it was a bit of a rough one. Just throw this out there. And it wasn't completely unexpected, but, but the offense, uh, they really struggled. They, they, they got it handed to them. If I'd had to bet an over-under on this game and you told me 18, I would have taken, I, I would have taken the over on it. Um, typically, this is a 18-16, 17-16, 15-15 game, but um, that's a real good Albany team that just, yeah, there's there's no answer but uh, come in with a real strong uh, face-off guy. Goalie was on fire, and they've got an incredibly potent attack. But bottom line is it's a it's a loss to a very good team in February. So you know I, I'm not ready to hide under a bridge because the guy is falling yet. He's got a good team coming in this week, so it'll be another good test for him. But I just wanted to throw that out there to the fans yeah. that, that we're not dead yet. <laughs> You know that, that's a that, that that's a that's a very potent uh, Albany team. It just is. They're they're pretty to watch. I was disappointed in the offensive performance, but Madonna was good in the game. He really was. The defense was good. They actually neutralized those guys for for the first part of that game. The defense was good. Mellon somewhat neutralized Field. Um, um, Bomberry did a real good job on Manicope for a while, but but they just had the ball for so much, but. But don't give up on those boys. They're 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 not as bad as that game might have indicated. So I didn't know if you guys had discussed this in the first hour. I missed it. So I just wanted to throw a word or two out there about it. Yeah, thanks as always for the call, Doug. We hadn't gotten to lacrosse yet in what was a busy weekend, but uh, a tough game. But Albany's really good this year, right? I mean, this is the best Albany team they've had there. Uh, quite possibly in in a little while, even with the Thompsons down there recently. So they came in, they beat you up. Uh, it happens, and as Doug said, 
it's February. <laughs> you know, it's it's the second week of the season, so there's plenty of time ahead uh, for this team to get its feet back under them. And uh, look, we we know, right? We know with Syracuse lacrosse, the schedule is not getting any easier. Uh, you're going to have Army, Virginia, and and Johns Hopkins the next three games. So uh, we know for sure the schedule is not going to get any harder. And, and this was just kind of one of those first tests, uh, or not going to get any easier, I should say. Um, this was one of those first tests for SG lacrosse for John Desco and his team. Why don't we take a timeout? We'll come back. We'll keep it rolling after this on ESPN Radio. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. Back here on Orange Nation, we got today's business. I can't stop watching this. I know. We've got got Yankee Spring training on, and they're like Gary Sanchez just flicked his bat at at a ball and Hit it out. I think he's got a swinging donut, he's got a donut on, on, the bat. on the bat while he's taking BP, which is just incredible. Uh, thanks again to Otis Livingston. That'll be up on our website shortly if you want to hear some Yankees and Mets talk. Um, Max, you're here for today's business, though. What do we have on, I on tap? Uh, fitting that the MLB rule changes or non-changes came out today as well. Uh, they're imposing stricter limits on mound visits in an effort to speed up games, but decided decided against 20-pitch sh- uh, sh- shot clocks, or pitch clocks, I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. Distracted by these bombs that keep flying out of this ballpark right now. But uh, the new rule um, announced today would uh, general limit amount of six Mound visits per nine-inning game without a pitching change, whether by manager, coach, or player. No pitch clock, though. How do you feel about that? I'm all right with it. Um, I don't. I wouldn't mind a pitch clock because I'm of the belief that it just doesn't affect that many people. Well, that was my next. You I, know, like I, I just, I don't think that putting a 20 or 25 second shot clock, uh, pitch clock, I should say, see? really, like that doesn't really affect a lot of people. Like no. that affects that affects the people who are egregiously slow to the plate. Look, and those are the people and those are the people who need to get fixed, yeah. right? So like fix David Price. Well, they were fix fix the slow pitchers and then we'll be all right. There were 155 starting pitchers who threw at least 750 pitches last year. Only 3 averaged more than 20 seconds per pitch with no one on base. Sonny Gray, Matt Garza and you Darvish. I believe that was Jason Stark that tweeted that out. Before I came in here, so yeah, to your point, it's not really you know the the pitching clock is not really going to affect that many people, and the people that it does affect, like there's no reason you should be taking 20 seconds in between a pitch. No, especially with nobody on base. If you got base runners on, yeah, maybe like once in a while, but I mean, as a former pitcher, I know that I was definitely not even close to 20 seconds a pitch. No, and and most people aren't. You know, most people just are not that slow on the mound. So. I'm not opposed to a pitch clock. Um, I'm fine with the uh, what with what they've done. Cut down on mound visits. There's no reason to go after a, an 0-1 pitch and then after an 0-2 pitch and then they foul off and you go again. Uh, no reason for that. Um, uh, I'll be intrigued to see how it plays itself out and what happens. I think Aaron Judge just hit one over the scoreboard. Yeah, is that what just happened? That okay, just, that just happened. Um, I'll be intrigued to see how that happens and how that plays itself out. Um, but I'm I'm all right with that rule for now. You got to speed the game up. I I've said what I would do, and and I I don't know that you would like this one, but uh, relievers who come in mid inning don't get a pitch on the mound. Uh see, you're warm. You're warmed up. 
Yeah, but you it's, come it's in, different. you're in. It's different though because you get out in the bullpen, and I'm sure but that I, they've already worked that's... the mound. No, because as a pitcher, you work you work the rubber to your own comfort, and oh, I think no, I that, get that you need at least one you need one pitch to like find I, your bearings but, again. And, but that's where I would shorten things up because yeah, that those are the breaks. See, those are the breaks yeah, that kill you. Taking see, two minutes yeah, to do that is yep. really what hurts you. I, I I would not say don't let them get zero pitches on the the actual rubber, but, like but two and yeah, you don't just go to commercial? throw like, like one or two, yeah. and then just you should be good to go, like you said, because you have all that time out there in the bullpen. But I do know what it's like going from mound to mound, and you know sometimes you, it takes a little bit more yeah. time to get your feel on the mound because you might not put your foot where the other guy's putting his foot, or right. you might have to dig around it or dig your own way into it. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think it's an interesting idea you have, but I'm all for one of uh, having them um, be able to throw at least one pitch. Yeah. For, we, uh, what what else did you have on tap here? Uh, for, Devin uh, McCourty and Malcolm Butler. More oh, drama yeah, coming weird. out of New England. New England Patriots coach uh, Bill Belichick obviously shocked many people by not playing Malcolm Butler <laughs> on defense in the Super Bowl, but the limited role was not a surprise to Butler's teammates. Medevin McCourty, the safety, saying, we all knew he wasn't starting all week. That wasn't a secret given to the guys on the team. And then you get Eric Rowe, the guy who played in place of Butler, coming out. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. Back here on Orange Nation, we got today's business. I can't Max stop Brigandi. watching this. I know. We, I we've, got, <laughs> we've got Yankee spring training on, and they're like Gary Sanchez just fl- flicked his bat at a, at a ball and hit it out. I think he's got a swinging donut, he's got a donut on, on, the bat. on the bat while he's taking BP, which is just incredible. Uh, thanks again to Otis Livingston. That'll be up on our website shortly if you want to hear some Yankees and Mets talk. Um, Max, you're here for today's business, though. What do we have on, on tap? Uh, fitting that the MLB rule changes or non-changes came out today as well. Uh, they're imposing stricter limits on mound visits in an effort to speed up games, but decided decided against 20-pitch sh- uh, sh- shot clocks, or pitch clocks, I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Distracted by these bombs that keep flying out of this ballpark right now. But uh, the new rule um, announced today was a uh, general limit amount of 6 Mound visits per nine-inning game without a pitching change, whether by manager, coach, or player. No pitch clock, though. How do you feel about that? I'm all right with it. Um, I don't. I wouldn't mind a pitch clock because I'm of the belief that it just doesn't affect that many people. Well, that was my next. You I, know, like I, I, I just, I don't think that putting a 20 or 25 second shot clock, uh, pitch clock, I should say, see? really, like that doesn't really affect a lot of people. Like no. that affects that affects the people who are egregiously slow to the plate, Look. and those are the people, and those are the people who need to get fixed, yeah. right? So, like, fix David Price. Well, you know, were, fix fix the slow pitchers, and then we'll be all right. There were 155 starting pitchers who threw at least 750 pitches last year. Only three averaged more than 20 seconds per pitch with no one on base. Sonny Gray, Matt Garza, and you Darvish. I believe that was Jason Stark that tweeted that out before I came in here. So, yeah, to your point, it's not really, you know, the, the pitching clock is not really going to affect that many people, and the people that it does affect, like, there's no reason you should be taking 20 seconds in between a pitch. No, especially with nobody on base. If you got base runners on, yeah, maybe like once in a while. But I mean, as a former pitcher, I know that I was definitely not even close to twenty seconds a pitch. No, and and most people aren't. You know, most people just are not that slow on the mound. So I'm not opposed to a pitch clock. 
Um, I'm fine with the uh, what with what they've done. Cut down on mound visits. There's no reason to go after a, an 0-1 pitch and then after an 0-2 pitch and then they foul off and you go again. Uh, no reason for that. Um, uh, I'll be intrigued to see how it plays itself out and what happens. I think Aaron Judge just hit one over the scoreboard. Yeah, is that what just happened? That okay, just, that just happened. Um, I, I'll be intrigued to see how that happens and how that plays itself out. Um, but I'm I'm all right with that rule for now. You got to speed the game up. I I've said what I would do, and and I I don't know that you would like this one, but uh, relievers who come in mid inning don't get a pitch on the mound. Uh see, you're warm. You're warmed up. Yeah, but you it's, come it's in, different. you're in. It's different though because you get out in the bullpen, and I'm sure but that I, they've already worked the mound. No, because as a pitcher, you work you work the rubber to your own comfort, and oh, I think no, I that, that you need at least one you need one pitch to like find I, your bearings but, again. And, but that's where I would shorten things up because yeah, that those are the breaks see, those are the breaks yeah, that kill you. Taking see, two minutes yeah, to do that is yep. really what hurts you. I, I I would not say don't let them get zero pitches on the the actual rubber, but, like but two and yeah, you don't just go to commercial? throw like, like one or two, yeah. and then just you should be good to go, like you said, because you have all that time out there in the bullpen. But I do know what it's like going from mound to mound, and you know sometimes you, it takes a little bit more yeah. time to get your feel on the mound because you might not put your foot where the other guy's putting his foot, or right. you might have to dig around it or dig your own way into it. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think it's an interesting idea you have, but I'm all for one of uh, having them um, be able to throw at least one pitch. Yeah. For, we, uh, what what else did you have on tap here? Uh, for, Devin uh, McCourty and Malcolm Butler. More oh, drama yeah, coming weird. out of New England. New England Patriots coach uh, Bill Belichick obviously shocked many people by not playing Malcolm nice Butler <laughs> on defense in the Super Bowl, but the limited role was not a surprise to Butler's teammates. Devin McCourty, the safety, saying, we all knew he wasn't starting all week. That wasn't a secret given to the guys on the team. And then you get Eric Rowe, the guy who played in place of Butler, coming out media after the game saying he wasn't aware that he was starting in the Super Bowl until a few hours before the game. Uh, Butler was on the injury report all week leading up to the Super Bowl with what he called an illness and was limited in practice and arrived late uh, to yeah, the Super I need Bowl. This it's, it's I really need this weird. full story. I need this full story. I don't know what it is. I don't think we've gotten it yet. Um, I don't really I, buy it. I don't either. I don't either. I don't buy any of it. I don't think that Belichick just decided on uh, on Sunday morning that he wasn't going to play. I don't think that... You know, I I don't think that that's the case. I don't know that he told him before Sunday yeah. that he wasn't going to play, but like I think it was like a premeditated thing. I don't know what the full story is, but I want it. I know it's that's all that came out pretty much today. But I mean, a guy that plays ninety eight percent of your defensive snaps. I mean, there's got to be more of an excl- explanation to it. Um, yeah, I, I think that there is. That. So I don't. There has to it's be. just weird. I mean, he's obviously not going to stay in New England now. I don't think he was anyway. I don't think he was anyway. I don't think he was anyway. But it's just weird to see your one-time player that clinched the Super Bowl for you three, four years ago against the Seahawks now all of a sudden not playing in the Super Bowl three years later. And it's, I mean, his production went down a little bit this year, but again, it wasn't his fault. The entire defense was playing horribly for the first, better part of the first half of the season. Right. And they had to figure it out, and they and they ended up obviously going to the Super Bowl. But it's just a very weird situation. Um, very conflicting stories moving around that locker room too. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see who stays and who goes because I don't really buy any of the stories that have come out yet. No, me neither. And I don't. 
But the Patriots are also one of those teams where like they will make roster moves in the offseason for no not, reason. On, yeah, yeah, for no reason. And on face value, you're kind of like scratching your head, like why? Why are you doing this? And, and then, then the players washed up, and and then the next, <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh, they're they're geniuses, of course. Yeah. So. All right, that was today's business brought to you by Grossman St. Amour CPAs, located in downtown Syracuse. Grossman St. Amour CPAs provides businesses and individuals with tax planning and tax preparation services and strategies to help minimize your tax liabilities. Learn more about how Grossman St. Amour CPAs can optimize the financial opportunities for your business online at gsacpas.com. All right, we're back after this to wrap it up on ESPN Radio.